Last week, the Springfield theater community lost an amazing person named Dale Mason. While Dale was never a part of this show, uh, Mitch, Lydia, and Pickett all had the opportunity to work with him in various productions in the Springfield area and got to see him uh, shine on stage, especially as George in 2016's production of The Wedding Singer at Springfield Theater Center. Dale was the type of person to light up any room he was in. As a performer, he had the ability to steal any scene he was in. As a director, he was always able to get the actor to connect with the character in a personal way. As a friend, he was able to put a smile on anyone's face, even that person who was going through the worst day ever. Now, while we are deeply saddened by his passing, we are grateful to have had him in our lives. Our thoughts are with his family, friends, and anyone who had the opportunity to meet him. Hey everyone, welcome to the Geek Awakens. Uh, my name is Mitch, and you know I, I'd like to say that I don't have a question for this week because we are just going to be so jam packed full of stuff. But I forgot to come up with a question this week. So joining me tonight, uh, we have Lydia. Hi. Uh, Pickett. Yes, hello. Matt. Hello. Tabitha. Hi. And our guest for Artist Alley tonight, Dominic Cellini. Don Dominic, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Awesome. So let's go ahead and get right down to it. Um, Dominic, how long have you been creating art and how would you describe your style? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, as long as I can remember, you know, I've been drawing, uh, yeah, for about longer than when my brain officially turned on. Uh, <laughs> you know, as a little kid, um, I was obsessed with um, Halloween, uh, believe it or not. Uh, I was a really easily frightened kid, but my dad would bring home um, these huge uh, sheets of poster board, and I would just take um, Crayola markers and draw tombstone, haunted houses. Uh, my parents thought I was probably going to be goth, but uh, it was much worse. I was an artist. <laughs> um, I went through a bird phase, started drawing all the birds I could see. Um, uh, basically, uh, I just couldn't stop. Uh, I would lay out popsicle sticks on the ground. I had I had a tub of popsicle sticks, and I would arrange them on the ground to make uh, designs and probably more haunted houses. Uh, my, uh, you know, how I describe my style is um, it's funny because it's um, it's something I always kind of just struggled to um, stick with and define. You know, I, at no point did I ever sit down and decide, all right, this is going to be my style. Uh, you know, this is going to be the way I draw and these are the way uh, I want my drawings to always look. The thing I always would um, tell my students when I uh, taught classes before or just give advice in general, uh, it's basically advice that was just passed down to me early on, is that um, style isn't always so much um, a conscious decision, but rather it's your influences all coming together and it's how they kind of unconsciously show up in your work. And uh, they're also the little mistakes you make in your work as well. So if you like to draw hands a certain way, if you're bad at drawing feet like me, there's a certain stylistic choice I make where feet are very simple because I don't like drawing them. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> things like that kind of um, determine the direction that your uh, stylistic choices go in. Awesome. Um, 
And so you're talking about influences. And when I met you several years ago, we kind of mm -hmm. talked a little bit about your inspirations for your style of artwork and things. Mm -hmm. Examples being like Disney, Pixar, things like that. Yeah. Um, have those inspirations changed over the years? And like, what are some of your main inspirations for drawing now? Well, you know, as I get older, I just, I find more influences and uh, things that uh, inspire me. Uh, you know, I, lately I've been in a bit of a UPA phase. UPA, um, if you're not familiar with it, is it's kind of the aesthetic style we associate with the 1950s and 60s. So if you guys know, like the old Dick Tracy and Mr. Magoo cartoons, even um, certain old Looney Tune shorts or uh, old commercials from the 50s, it was a very um, simplistic style of animation that was due to limited budgets and whatnot. And it's very... Um, it's very like uh, graphic, full of geometric shapes and whatnot. Uh, that style's always appealed to me somewhat. It's influenced a lot of cartoons we've grown up with. Um, you know, Powerpuff Girls has a big UPA influence. One of my favorites, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. That's a big influence uh, <laughs> on mine. It was one of my favorites growing up. Um, big UPA style there. Uh, you know, Dexter's Lab, pretty much all of those. UPA has had an influence in those, myself included. Uh, and it helps, it's economical. Uh, you know, we're not trying to do a, uh, a detailed, uh, you know, Akira style manga or anything like that. Because I don't want carpal tunnel before I'm 30. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as influences go, though, I mean, Disney and Pixar are always going to be an influence for me. They're a very commonly cited one because they're so big in the culture, uh, you know, and nothing about is, is obscure. People our age really grew up on uh, Pixar movies in the Disney Renaissance and you know as much as they are you know commonly discussed they really are masters of acting and visual storytelling so I mean I'm always learning from uh, those old animation masters and stuff like that. So you've got some amazing paintings on your website featuring mm -hmm. some iconic iconic scenery of Springfield. Uh, what mm -hmm. gave you the idea to do that and do you have plans to continue that series? Uh, yeah, you know, if I have time again, you know, gosh, you know, my schedule's been so full. I was just thinking recently how I'd like to do one again. Um, you know, they were, uh, one day I was just thinking I'd really like to get better at environments. Um, I really like uh, the certain photographer, uh, Patrick Joust, who lives in Baltimore, I think. And he has this uh, great series where he just kind of photographs very uh, mundane and kind of kind of uh, urban decay street scenes all around like areas like the Rust Belt, Baltimore, and all these little small towns. Uh, they feel, uh, you know, very Americana without trying to be overly nostalgic. And uh, when I would look at his um, photographs, even though they might be in different towns and locations, when I'd look at them, certain uh, environment shots just felt like home to me. Uh, there would be a picture he had of some giant uh, pink storm clouds, you know, on a summer dusk, and that makes me think of, you know, a specific summer memory here. Uh, th that's my favorite stuff. Uh, pictures where you can just look at it and you can just kind of feel it. So uh, I thought naturally, I said, well, it, no one really draws uh, Springfield. There's Bill Crook, of course. But, uh, you know, he does sketches. 
I wanted to do it more with color and I wanted to do it a little more um, with a graphic sensibility. So I was thinking about um, locations that uh, I know around Springfield that are recognizable, but maybe not the common landmarks we always see. You know, there's always going to be paintings of the old Capitol. Uh, even I've done uh, several. Uh, you're always going to see a lot about Lincoln, uh, Lincoln's home, uh, you know, the, the typical historical landmarks, but nobody's really going to draw, you know, the sunrise donuts, nobody, you know, I, there's a neon Firestone sign on, on MacArthur near where I live. And I would drive by it every day. And I had never paid much mind to it. But as I drove by, I thought about how neon signs like that are kind of becoming uh, a rarity. Uh, they don't really make them like that anymore. And I thought, you know, I really like the way it looks at dusk. Uh, I'd really like to capture that uh, before it's gone because sadly, you know, the thing is with Springfield and uh, a lot of cities, but I think especially this one, uh, you know, a lot of history uh, goes away. And it's a shame that we're not a very um, photographed, city the way you know uh, St. Louis or Chicago would be because we're much smaller uh, you know some of these little specific uh, locations and areas I thought well if nobody's going to capture them and I don't have a fancy camera you know an iPhone camera won't do it justice so I thought uh, why not paint them and uh, you know give them a little immortality <laughs> before they're before they're gone <laughs> and that uh, that neon one that you you were referencing—that's the one that like first caught my attention. I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like that was just <laughs> amazing because like I used to work right around that area, so like yeah. I I am very familiar with that like exact mm -hmm. um, you know backdrop or whatever. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I like being really specific. Um, you know, I did the little area by Snowbiz. Um, you know, I, I spent so many summer evenings over on that little uh, nook there uh, off of MacArthur and. Uh, I just thought of what a wonderful little strip it is, you know, nowhere else in town, or I shouldn't say nowhere else in town, but, you know, newer parts of town, new developments, they don't, they don't have that old growth, you know, that our old established neighborhoods have, uh, you know, I think those things are uh, worth capturing. So one of your larger projects recently is a webcomic called Emmy the Robot, which mm -hmm. I have to say has kind of been keeping me alive during quarantine and everything. I love it to death. I'm glad you so, like it. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us a bit about Emmy and like where people can find it and read it and things like that? No. No, I'm just oh, Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so about last summer, um, I, you know, I had this character concept. Uh, I just kind of, toyed around with in my head um uh, you know I had a little story around her um and, and nothing overly ambitious I thought but uh you know I I did a design for her when I released it online people really responded to it and uh you know the supporting characters as well and I just really enjoyed drawing her I, I loved how much people responded to her so I just did like a little comic strip or two you know getting uh giving people more of a, an impression of her personality, you know, what the world is like. And people just really dug it. And I decided, well, you know, that was pretty fun. Why don't I make a series of these? Um, so I, I just decided to move forward and keep doing it. And a year later, you know, here we are, uh, you know, 
27,000 subscribers on Webtoon. It just, I got kind of overwhelmed by how quickly it grew. But, uh, you know, I guess that's the power of cute. <laughs> uh, so tell us ask? a little bit about your book, 21 Terrifying Monsters. <laughs> well, uh, 21 Terrifying Monsters was a children's book. Uh, I had finished last summer. So in the vein of Emmy, you know, I like... Uh, doing stories that have kind of a quirky sense of humor that are good enough for younger kids, but you can enjoy them on some level as adults too. Uh, one of my favorite books growing up were the Shel Silverstein ones. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like light in the attic where the sidewalk ends, you know, those. Yep. Yeah. I love those. Um, I, I would uh, flip through them all the time at my aunt and uncles who had the uh, collection and they'd have their, boring grown-up talk and I'd uh, sit in the library and entertain myself with that and uh, you know I was just doodling one day and I had all these uh, little monster characters these like Muppety looking monsters and I just had a lot of fun thinking of really specific uh, you know monsters that are met that are uh, themed around different like neuroses or annoying habits or things like that you know uh, just silly little uh, creatures that terrorize people by sitting in front of you at every event, like movie or football game. You know, you'll have a monster with like a, you know, a really big head that does that. Uh, a monster that has no inside voice. So everywhere it goes, it shouts. Uh, you know, <laughs> a monster that tattles on all the kids at the playground. You know, a, a monster that uh, always had bad things happen to it. It's a bad luck monster. Uh, you know, a monster with bad table manners, things like that. Uh, you know, it, the one hand, it can reinforce uh, good behaviors in uh, kids, I hope. But I, honestly, when I went into it, I was just thinking about the books that uh, you guys would uh, have indoor recess where, you know, they uh, say, well, pick a book, pick an activity, something to do. You know, it's raining outside. And there were certain books in grade school kids would always fight over. You know, they were usually the funny ones, the uh, the kind of creative ones. And I was just thinking, I want to make the book that the kids fight over. You know, the, the seven-year-olds say, ah, you got the monster book. I wanted that one this time. Uh, there was a book called, I shouldn't even say it if I can't remember the author's name. It was called Squids Will Be Squids. He also did a book called The Stinky Cheese Man. I loved that. Oh gosh! He also did the illustrations for James and the Giant Peach, which is a, which is a favorite of mine. Uh, it'll come back to me. I, I shouldn't have even brought it up if I don't know his name. But <laughs> John Skeezus, guys. Yes, yeah, he's got a weird name. Yeah, it's yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something, <laughs> something East European. John. <laughs> um. So that's basically the story behind uh, 21 Terrifying Monsters. If I have time again, uh, I might do another book because uh, there's a lot of um, monsters I had to uh, scrap because I didn't have room in the book. So we'll see. Nice. So you're also on Patreon. So what can mm -hmm. people expect from your Patreon page? Well, I expect money. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, As you should. <laughs> no, well, um, so Patreon was kind of, you know, I only created it fairly recently. Um, it's, you know, it's a great resource for us artists where we can kind of, uh, you know, beg our followers, uh, for money and in return, we provide them with some exclusive content or early content. 
Um, in my case, it's mostly built around my comic. So for example, um, you can see my comic for free on Webtoon or on my Instagram and Twitter. Even later, I uh, upload there. Uh, Emmy the Robot uh, there, though, updates slower than my Patreon. So people who subscribe to my Patreon, uh, even if you're just a dollar a month, it's very affordable. Um, even if you're just in the dollar a month tier, you still get the perks of uh, comics early. You still get to see the works in progress, and you get an exclusive Emmy comic every month. Yeah, I like to think so. You also um, can get some exclusive wallpapers you can download of my art, things like that. Uh, so far, uh, you know, I've been really um, happy with the uh, support that's come through and the reception. Uh, I'm just really glad, again, that people enjoy my comic and uh, character enough to uh, support me that way. So you recently started an online video course for art and character design. So what are some of the details for that? Well, so I, I can't see too much yet because I've just started making it. <laughs> uh, I'm doing it with a uh, Korean website called Class 101. But the cool thing about Class 101 is that they're a very international site. So Class 101 is expanding into uh, you know more English-speaking areas. And what Class 101 is is kind of one of those online learning websites a bit in the vein of Skillshare or even Masterclass, except, you know, we're not famous like the people on Masterclass, of course. Um, what we do is essentially give tutorial series um, and courses in our specialities. So mine, for example, is mostly character design for web comics and children books, of course, what I just talked about. Uh, you know, being that I'm a fairly new webcomic author uh, and, you know, I've only made uh, one children's book so far, you know, I'm, I'm only 26. Uh, I'm mostly focusing on the area of character design for that because part of the reason uh, behind the Emmy uh, comic success is people just really responded to her character design and the designs of the other uh, robots. So, uh, you know, the importance of good character design and storytelling, uh, you know, you, you can't understate it. So I'm really eager to uh, start having students enroll. I believe early enrollment is still available. Some of the early bird seats have gone, but I believe there is still a discount where you can get up to $20 off the uh, final price if you sign up now. And that's through Class 101. My link's to that are on my Twitter and Instagram, if you want to know. So uh, do you sell any of your work? Yes, I do some, I, mostly prints. I, I work digitally primarily, so I don't usually have originals to sell, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I, I do enjoy, you know, working with traditional media from time to time. However, uh, you know, selling originals, you can't get more money for them. It is more time, however, and again, working digitally, you just, you can't have originals, but I do have prints available on my website. Of course, my work is available in my book and uh, yeah, any prints of my art that aren't of uh, licensed characters, of course, are uh, available for sale. If you would like, uh, you know, you can just contact me privately and I can uh, ship you a, a print. Uh, however, uh, if you are a Patreon in the uh, tiers above $3, you will get a, well, let me see, 
I'm almost looking at my own Patreon to remind myself of my own rewards here. <laughs> That's right. I just wanted to see how I worded it. I'm sorry. Yes, it is a one-time free print of your choice of any size uh, up to, uh, again, I don't think I can do, you know, huge posters, but I think I can go up to uh, 16 by 20. So if you are the $3 or $5 tier on my Patreon, uh, you know, you can just message me and you get a free print of your choice. Awesome. Hey, um, I, I had a thought. Uh, yeah. You know, if uh, if if you're tacking on a computer with these uh, digital, you know, prints, I'm saying you could throw some extra money in there, upgrade yourself every once in a while. Just throwing it out there. (laughs) (laughs) So your Instagram page has a mix of original characters as well as fan art. Uh, I gotta say, I saw your Steve Harvey sketches, and they made me want to watch Family Feud. Uh, (laughs) He's my favorite. Yeah, he's my favorite anime character. (laughs) Uh, During. During the creative process, is it more challenging to create original characters or to take an existing character or real-life person and then fit them into your style? Oh, gosh. Uh, Taking existing characters uh, into my style is a lot of fun because, one, I can work with what's already there. You know, so I have a little bit of rules. The limitations actually make things easier in some ways because when you create original characters, you can be very hard on yourself because you're constantly questioning, is this the right choice? But what if it could be better? You know, you're constantly like driving yourself and saying, I got to tell you, before uh, I debuted that character sheet of Emmy, uh, I must have drawn, I, I had like a whole sketchbook full of Emmy. I must have looked like a crazy person drawing this character over and over just until it felt right. And it's a very nebulous thing sometimes with character design. Um, you can draw the character over and over and they can be technically fine drawings, but if it doesn't just give you that weird, impossible to describe feeling of this is right, then you think, no, no, that's not it. Doing fan art, uh, you know, is simply more of, okay, here's how I interpret your character design and I'm going to bring some of my stylistic sensibilities to that. That's why I like doing the Mario ones a lot like that, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but with original characters, um, it's still a lot of fun, of course. I wouldn't be teaching a class on it and doing it for a living if I didn't love it. But creating original characters, uh, you know, your influences and uh, inspiration is so much broader. You have a whole lot uh, of uh, reference to, uh, to choose from. So it's really just a matter of narrowing down your choices and really knowing who your character is before you start drawing them. So, as Mitch would normally say, because he usually is the one leading all these interviews, mm-hmm. um, this is kind of your uh, time to plug yourself. Like, what's the best way for people to find you online? Like you mentioned Instagram, Twitter, things like that. So, like, how can people find you the easiest? Oh. <laughs> well, uh, you can find me online, not physically. Don't don't show up to our house with Rona right now but (laughs) um social medias you can find me at uh Instagram is probably my biggest um that is domcell that is d-o-m-m-c-e-l-l I should be uh one of the first to come up uh same with Twitter it is domcellini art you can find me there if you want to read my comic on webtoon it is emmy the robot that's E-M-M-Y, the robot, I'm not going to spell the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> my, my Patreon is linked to my social media, so you can find it from there. If not, you can just Google my name, Dominic Cellini Art or Dominic Cellini Patreon. If you just want my regular portfolio website, just Google my name, Dominic Cellini. 
or Dominic Cellini Art. And uh, sure enough, you can reach me there. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, do you want to stick around for... Uh, for Oof, gut reaction. Yeah, sure, I can if I you know, have anything to say. You know, I'll let you guys uh, <laughs> take the lead here. But uh, sure, I'm happy to hear what you have to say. Matt, we're going to start with you and a new Star Wars series that was announced. Yeah, so we know that um, Clone Wars ended, uh, but Disney Plus is going to be getting a new Star Wars animated series. Uh, it's going to be called The Bad Batch, which our characters were actually introduced at the end of Clone Wars. It will follow Clone Wars time-wise. Um, they are a unique squad of clones who vary genetically from their brothers in the clone army. Each possess a singular exceptional skill, which makes them extraordinarily effective soldiers and a formidable crew. Uh, Clone Wars is definitely one of those things that I have not gotten to watch all of, even though I really, really want to. Um, having a continuation, even if it's not more Clone Wars, uh, makes me interested. And I'm always up for more Disney content or more uh, Star Wars content. Um, so I'm going to go thumbs up. Tabitha. Yeah, I'm also going to go thumbs up. I've also never finished Clone Wars, but more Star Wars content, the better. So thumbs up. Pick it. Yeah, uh, definitely thumbs up. Uh, I, I love Star Wars and uh, Clone Wars. I've only seen a little bit of, but uh, it's been great. So you can only build on that. Lydia. I mean, I still don't have a whole lot of Star Wars knowledge. I've never seen a bit of Clone Wars at all. So, I mean, it's cool that it's expanding on that, but it means nothing to me. So I'm going to go thumbs <laughs> sideways, but that's only because I have no frame of reference. <laughs> um, I'm going thumbs up. Uh, I haven't watched Clone Wars yet, but it sounds like a really fun, interesting concept. Uh, quick side note, though, when I saw the logo for this first, uh, I accidentally read it as the bad bitch. And you're not the only one. <laughs> and I had two thoughts. I was like, first, uh, how is Disney Plus making a show with that word in the title? And two, I started fan casting just who the bad bitch was going to be, but I hadn't figured it out. <laughs> and Dominic. Uh, you know, okay. Um, did they say whether this would be animated or not? Yes. Okay, from, from the creators of Clone Wars. Yeah, roughly uh, some of the same crew is involved in the animation and the uh, like production. All right, I you know I'm gonna do a, a cautious thumbs up because I have seen all the Clone Wars. It's been years though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Clone Wars is a terrific cartoon. If you guys are talking about the original uh, Jendi uh, Tarkovsky one, mm -hmm. it's what introduced General Grievous. It's actually aged better in some ways than the actual prequel movies themselves. I'm not sure if that's too hot of a take. Uh, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I watched it as a kid. I, I was so uh, anxious for episode three, I, I got the novelization of it first. Uh, so I watched every episode in eager anticipation for it. Uh, there is a new Kickstarter out. It's for a comic book called Sidekick. Uh, it's by uh, Russell Brutholtz. Uh, basically, the story is uh, superhero sidekicks in Chicago are tired of being neglected and then they go on strike. Uh, this Kickstarter is for a uh, new second arc uh, that just and just started. It already has over half. It's already over halfway funded and it still has more than 20 days to go. Um, definite thumbs up. I love any kind of sidekick story. I love anything that's set in you know Chicago or basically any place that I personally have been in. Um, so yeah, so I'm definitely, uh, definitely excited about this and 
want to check out the first arc just to kind of see more about it. Uh, Dominic. Well, uh, you know, I'm glad Chicago's finally getting some love in the superhero genre because, uh, you know, someone needs to tell Marvel the world is not New York City. <laughs> <laughs> True. I mean, where are the European superheroes? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go thumbs up. You know, I, I saw some of the artwork on the page. It looks promising. You know, when it comes to comics, ironically, I'm not the biggest superhero comic consumer. So I might be somewhat neutral on it. But, you know, the idea sounds like it has potential. And when it comes to that kind of genre, I, I tend to like the lighter kind of stuff anyway. Uh, Matt? Um, grumpy Sidekicks? Uh, I'm in. Thumbs up. <laughs> Tabitha. Grumpy people in general, I'm generally in, so <laughs> thumbs up. Pick it. <laughs> people in general. No, um, no, I am thumbs up. Uh, I am thumbs up. Uh, this sounds like a really fun uh, kind of comic. And I'm not big into comics, but I might have to look at this one because it sounds like a lot of fun. Lydia. I like the idea of it. It kind of reminds me of like Sky High. Where it's like, oh, we're sidekicks, but we're not just sidekicks, so pay attention to us now. Uh, so yeah, thumbs up. <laughs> uh, Tabitha, you got some news on Lord of the Rings. Uh, sort of. So <laughs> that Lord of the Rings TV show that's coming out that we've been talking about for what feels like forever. Now, right? It feels like we brought this up like 300 years ago. I don't know what's going on. But um, Elijah Wood showed his like showed his nerd pants this week and said. They're calling it the Lord of the Rings, but I think that's slightly misleading. From what I understand, the material they are working on exists chronologically further back in history in the lore of Lord of the Rings or Middle-earth than any of the characters represented in the Lord of the Rings. Um, he basically was like, not to get nerdy, but it's the second age of Middle-earth. Middle so he basically has also said now that if they find a way for him to be a part of this movie or TV show, whatever, from Amazon, that he'd be open to it chronologically it doesn't really work if he's going to be Frodo, but if they're going to sneak him in there as somebody else, I think it would be really cool. Uh, I'm going to give this a thumb sideways because as long as this is taking them, they're either putting in enough work to make this really super cool or it's they're failing miserably and they don't know how to tell anyone. So there is no middle ground. So I'm going thumb sideways. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to go thumbs down on this. Uh, and that's just because I like for me with the Lord of the Rings universe, uh, all of that stuff. The, the the Hobbit movies were just a big letdown for me. Uh, so uh, I just I, the whole Lord of the Rings thing. I do like uh, um, uh, Elijah Wood kind of being attached to it, the idea of that. But other than that, I don't I don't know yet. I'd have to get more information. For now, it's a thumbs down. Lydia. Yeah, I'm gonna go thumb sideways. I I like the fact that he is interested in being a part of it, but like Tabitha said, like they're taking so long with this, like. They either don't have a clue what they're doing or something. So I, I'm just a little, a little scared. Sometimes, yeah. Thumb sideways. I can't talk. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I'm gonna go thumb sideways as well. Uh, but props to Elijah Wood for like showing his nerd cred. Uh, Dominic. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna concur with this thumb sideways because I, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Um, Hobbit, I was a little tepid on. You know, I don't like they were more of a Lord of the Rings prequel than just the Hobbit. Uh, I don't want them to make the same mistake by trying to tie this too much to Lord of the Rings. Uh, when I initially heard about this, I was worried that they would just remake the movies. So I'm glad that they're actually going back further in the mythology, though. So that shows promise. Uh, Matt. 
Yeah, I'm essentially with everybody else here. Um, you you got to go with middle or uh, middle ground. Um, you got a thumbs up. <laughs> what are you about? <laughs> got you. Um, Matt, we've got some Lego or Nintendo or what's going on? Lego Nintendo news. Um, Lego and Nintendo are teaming up, and later this year they're going to be releasing a licensed NES. Lego set. Um, it's twenty. Oh, it's over twenty six hundred pieces. It is a NES console, a controller, a game cartridge, and a little TV with a little crank on the side where you will be able to basically play Mario on this little like old school box TV. Um, the price, honestly, for all of this is two hundred and thirty dollars, which I don't think is unreasonable. Um, and to top it off, there's going to be an additional sets um, that are going to be something to do with Super Mario, like Super Mario sets. Um, but the Super Mario character is going to be Bluetooth enabled. And if you put him on top of the TV, he will play sounds as you crank this TV. So you'll be able to like hear the old school sounds for this. I, I think this is fantastic. I love it. And honestly, 230 bucks for this does not seem outrageous. So big thumbs up. Tabitha. I've spent $230 on a lot dumber stuff. <laughs> Pick it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go thumbs up on this. Uh, also, would it be better to be uh, Nintendo or uh, Legtendo? <laughs> I don't like Neither Legtendo. one of those are good options. <laughs> I don't think I really like Legtendo like, at all. That, no. no. <laughs> Nintendo it is. <laughs> Lydia. I love this. It sounds so cool. And yeah, that price tag for anything Lego is not that out of the ballpark because there's some like small sets that sell for like 60 bucks. Yeah. So yeah, big thumbs up. This sounds awesome. I have to give this a thumb sideways. It sounds like a phenomenal idea. And I would love to watch someone else put this together. But <laughs> it's been a long time since I played with Legos, like, to purposely build something. And I don't know that I have the patience as an adult to do it. And Mitch is very busy, as we are all aware. Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> and Dominic. Well, I'll tell you, you know, as I told you guys earlier, you know, Legos have caused me a lot of grief over the last couple of days with all the organizing. So the last thing I need is to buy more Legos. But I got to go with a hard thumbs up for this because <laughs> Nintendo and Lego is the perfect marriage of my childhood loves. And, you know, I, I feel compelled to buy it. And it's actually a reasonable price. Upon hearing about it, it was the only thing I was apprehensive about. But like Lydia said, they have a $700 Millennium Falcon, so this is... Mm -hmm. And I don't have that. <laughs> I would hope not. No, no, I, I have to eat food. <laughs> Food's important. Uh, Tabitha, let's talk about uh, Black Garnet books. So, at the beginning of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement coming back into the media, as it should have been the whole time, um, a Minneapolis woman realized that in her city, there was one type of business that did not have a black owned business and it was a bookstore. So in the middle of a global pandemic, she was like, I've had enough. And she opened a black owned bookstore. Um, it is, it is called um, Black Garden Books. 
and that she's already gaining a lot of support online. Um, her whole thing is that she's going to only carry book, like books by, um, by black authors. She's like her, I'm going to quote from her. Um, there are enough black and racially diverse authors to fill a bookstore. We don't have to be just a little shelf in the corner labeled diverse books. Um, she's going to start with just online sales for right now because the world is falling apart. And then after she can obtain her business license and things, she's going to fully move into a physical store. This is fantastic. Um, I love that she was not afraid. Like it is a, it's a scary time for small business owners anyway, especially someone who's like, you know what? Global pandemic, I'm going to create my own business. Like props to her. Like that's incredible and brave and wonderful. And we need more things like this. Um, you can find black garnet books online. They do have an Instagram account under the same name. Huge thumbs up. Just, huge for her bravery and her commitment and the, everything. We need more of this in the world. Oh yeah. No, thumbs up. I, I love this whole thing. Um, especially right now. If, if there was ever a time this, something like this was needed, it, it is, it is right. Oh, and also I forgot, I completely forgot to mention they do have a GoFundMe going on right now. Um, she has raised as of right now, $102,647 of her $108,000 wow. goal. Wow. So she's got, it was created six days ago. Whoa! And she's got $102,000. Lydia. Yep. That is amazing. And I like that she's like, I'm going to take this time to do something awesome. And I'm, I don't care that there's a pandemic. We'll just sell things online. So good for her and huge thumbs up. Absolute huge thumbs up. Um, you know, like I we talked about like how, everybody else, you know, kind of like spent their pandemic and like she wins. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you spend your pandemic? I started a business. <laughs> yeah, we all lose. Right. Dominic. Well, of course, you know, a thumbs up like everybody else. Oh wait, no one wants to be on you know, the thumbs down person for this, of course. <laughs> but no, I think it's wonderful though. Uh, honestly, you know, it takes a lot of uh, bravery and, uh, you know, and, and courage synonyms <laughs> to again to take out a venture like this in the time but at the same time it is very timely and probably long overdue i think it's a terrific idea you know it's something uh purely positive just given to uh, her community and it's for everybody yeah. so, uh dubbed the next step in the evolution of convention merchandise uh, marvel has opened an online store selling merch uh, that you would normally find at uh, cons with a partnership between Marvel and Reed Pop, uh, the launch item is a limited uh, set. It's uh, limited to 2,500 uh, sets of a Scotty Young Premier Bundle. It retails at $199 plus tax and shipping, and it includes enamel pins, over, uh, oversized hardcover book, and a bunch of other things. I want to give this a thumbs down because that's a lot of money that, I mean, I would spend at a convention. But I think I'm going to go thumbs sideways because... It kind of makes sense for them to be doing this right now in the middle of a pandemic when conventions aren't a thing. So, yeah, I don't think that I personally will be spending that money, but I'm sure at least 2,500 people will. Uh, Dominic. Yeah, you know, it's a, probably a thumb sideways for me, pretty much just what you said. It's not the kind of thing, you know, I'd be eager to spend money on, of course, but I know a lot of people, you know, uh, rely on conventions for selling their work. Uh, you know, I'm very lucky to live in the age where, you know, I can peddle my comic online, whatnot, but conventions are uh, a big thing for people who uh, make their own enamel and things like that. So, you know, whatever helps them. 
Uh, Matt? Uh, I'm essentially just going to echo what you guys have said. Uh, we have to go thumb sideways because, like, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't have any other words. Thumb sideways. <laughs> Tabitha. I spent $199 on a lot dumber stuff. Um, <laughs> um, as much as I agree with you, like I think this this is a way for conventions to, and like not just conventions, but artists that are at conventions, i.e. Scotty Young, to bring in income when they cannot bring in income. Um, this is not for me price point wise. I have to spend $199 on dumber stuff, but uh I love that we live in an age where you can do this. Like if we were, you know, 30 years ago, like this wouldn't even be a thing that people, people who were just artists who just were working out of their homes and things like that would have no, no money right now. And I think that them using this platform to provide money is fantastic. Like giant thumbs up for this idea. I, I don't think I can say it and it hasn't already been said. I, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go thumbs up. Uh, I, I think it's kind of cool. I really do. Lydia. I'm going to go thumb sideways. I like the idea of giving artists a platform to make money when they necessarily couldn't, but I feel like too many things right now are relying on the fact that, oh, we can't have conventions, so here, let me try to bring that to you, and it's just not meeting the same standard that you would get from a convention. So I think the, there's other ways to go about it rather than being like, oh, you could get this because you can't go to a con. So thumb sideways. Uh, Tabitha, we're getting a Lost Boys musical? Yeah, so... What? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I saw this pop up on my feed, and I'm like, this is like an Onion article or something, right? But it's not. <laughs> um, so, the score, written by G. Tom Mack, who did the score for Lost Boys, the movie, uh, has actually already written this, and it's hanging out there on Spotify if you guys want to go listen to it. Um, he's made a concept video illustrating ideas for what the show would look like, which is also available online, which looks bizarre. Just going to leave that there. Um, and Joel Schumacher, who was the director of Lost Boys, just passed away. And this actually had his stamp of approval. Joel Schumacher was very for this. So evidently it's coming. Uh, nothing we can do about it, guys. We're just going to have to suffer. Uh, originally it was going to open in late 2021, but now... Because, you know, everything is closed. Um, it's looking like early 2022. But, you know, like, for us just hearing about this, this is pretty far along. And that scares me. Uh, I'm going to go thumbs down. Um, Lost Boys is not one of my favorite 80s movies. Uh, not one of my favorite vampire movies. And not one of my favorite, like, anything movies, really, at all. <laughs> but um, I just, I, 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 no, stop. Just new content, please. Thanks. Bye. Thumbs down. Okay. Yeah, thumbs down also uh, content. I'd like new stuff, please. <laughs> Lydia. Yeah, um, thumb sideways, because Lost Boys, like, there's nothing else you could have picked, and why is it so far along and no one has heard about it until now? What are you hiding? I am scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm giving this a thumbs down. This, th There are some things that can be transferred, you know, to, to a musical, I don't see that being a thing. Uh, that said, uh, I'm currently looking for it on Spotify. Don't worry, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> and Dominic. Yeah, I'm going to go thumb sideways too because, uh, you know, Lost Boys, I think, you know, it's got uh, some 80s kitsch. It's kind of fun. But I'm really sick of movies becoming Broadway. 
and even some of the movies they have picked that I thought would make sense, like Beetlejuice, I wasn't that wild about the soundtrack. Uh, but I got to go with them sideways because I may look up the soundtrack later, and if it's got some bangers on it, then <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to do my words. <laughs> yeah, there is that. I've listened to the majority of it. I assure you there are no bangers. <laughs> I mean, they made a SpongeBob musical and it, it was a hit, I guess, a moderate hit. I don't know. <laughs> so I've heard. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I will say I, I found it. The last song on the soundtrack is called Till All the Damn Vampires Are Gone. So, I mean, I think that's your banger right there. <laughs> um, Matt. Why? I don't know. Like. <laughs> I, you know, I have to go. I have to agree with Dominic. Yeah, it definitely has some '80s kitsch to it, but like, there are some things that just I don't feel would translate well from film to musical theater, huh? Thumbs down. Uh, Matt, speaking of things becoming different things, uh, let's talk about Sims Sparked. I, this is just getting a huge thumbs down right off the bat. Um, yeah, TV is it TBS? Yeah, TBS. And The Sims and BuzzFeed are working together on a competitive TV show? Yep, that face. Um, debuting on July 17th, new episodes will air every Friday through August 7th. Um, it's a competition where people are going to create the characters and worlds and stories in Sims 4. Um there's a panel of judges and the winner gets a hundred thousand dollars, but just thumbs down. I, I don't, I don't even, I, I, ugh. so the only thing I ever did with the Sims was build that Gothic mansion and then fill it full of stuff and then set it on fire to watch them run around. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I, would fail, I would fail miserably at this. And also why? But also, where are they getting $100,000 to, like, I just, no, no, thank you. Take it. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, this sounds terrible. Thumbs down. Lydia. I'm just so confused about the things that they're trying to turn into competitions. Like, what? So, also, I feel like anybody that's trying to do this is just one of the people that just typed in Rosebud and, like, cheated to get the stuff to build their houses. <laughs> <laughs> No, thumbs down. Yeah, I, I gotta go thumbs down on this. I played Sims for like maybe a grand total of two weeks and I did nothing with my life there and I just I don't I don't want to see somebody win a hundred thousand a hundred thousand dollars for playing Sims. No thank you. Dominic. <laughs> yeah, thumbs down. I mean I think this is the future of TV in the quarantine era. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can't get actors to go to the film stuff, so they're like, okay. Have, have you guys do things with your avatars in The Sims? It'll be the virtual world. We're going to start getting movies made in The Sims universe. It's going to be a whole thing. Sounds like oh a Paul Verhoeven movie. Oh, my God. Is, so, is it there gonna are be no like actors. In, is it going to be in, like, The Sims language? Yes. <laughs> subtitles. <laughs> nothing but subtitles. Wubba dubba dubba. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Shabza, let's talk about Colson Whitehead. So, Colson Whitehead, who wrote um, The Underground Railroad and The Nickel Boys, has been recognized by the Library of Congress and on Monday was given the Prize for American Fiction. Um, he is the youngest winner at 50 of the Lifetime Achievement Prize, uh, which has previously gone to Philip Roth, uh, Toni Morrison, Dennis Johnson, other people. Um, he is the 
first author to win Pulitzers for consecutive works of fiction uh, with the Underground, Underground Railroad and the Nickel Boys. Um, I'm just going to read the quote that he said once he realized he had won. As a kid, I'd walk into great New York City libraries like the Schomburg and Mid-Manhattan on a field trip or for a school assignment and feel this deep sense of awe as if I'd stumbled into a sacred pocket in the city. I hope that right now there's a young kid who looks like me, who sees the Library of Congress recognize Black artists and feels encouraged to pursue their own vision and find their own sacred spaces of inspiration. This makes my heart smile. I have not read either of these. They're sitting on my never-ending to-be-read list. Um, but I've, I love that the Library of Congress is recognizing Black authors when previously it's been kind of a struggle. So keep doing what you're doing, Library of Congress. Don't just do it for one year and think you've changed yourselves. Yeah. So <clears throat> huge thumbs up for this. Like, congratulations to Colson Whitehead because, you know, he listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pick it. Uh, I'm going to give this two thumbs up. One is for the whole, the whole thing in itself. Um, it, it's, it's really awesome. But the, the second thumbs up is because uh, it also makes Tabitha's heart happy. So that's amazing. <laughs> Lydia. Yeah, absolutely. Thumbs up. Like, great job for, to him and good job for Library of Congress and all that. But I agree with what you said. Like, don't just do it now because it's relevant. Like, keep it up and be more inclusive with things like that. Uh, yeah, I have nothing else to add. Thumbs up. This is phenomenal. Uh, Dominic. Um, I resent all authors that aren't me doing better. See, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thumbs down until my book is in the Library of Congress. No, of course, uh, thumbs up, like you guys all said. You know, I, I think it's wonderful. I mean, obviously, I haven't read them uh, either, but uh, I'm sure they're good and worth checking out. And, uh, you know, if they are good, then this will get more people uh, talking about his books. Yeah, this is um, this is just fantastic on so many levels. I like like you know Tabitha and uh, Lydia said. I just hope that this isn't like a one-time thing that the Library of Congress realizes that like these are things that they need to keep recognizing and authors they need to keep recognizing, you know, and not just a, a point in time, you know, this year. So, so the last story that we have for gut reaction. Uh, Tiny Build Games has announced a new game that's going to release on Steam on August 13th. It's called Kill It With Fire. <laughs> and wait, what, what, what game? Wait, what, what's the development studio? Tiny Build. Oh. Oh. <laughs> what? What I, thought you said. I thought you said Tiny Build Games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we have a title for tonight's show. Oh, oh my word, but it wasn't Tiny Bill. I heard Tiny Bill Gates, and I was like, <laughs> like, like, Lego Bill Gates? Like, what does that even mean? That's exactly what I thought, too, Lego Bill Gates. <laughs> He's so small, yet so powerful. <laughs> so, just man in the world. I need to work on my pronunciation. <laughs> but no. Enunciate, Mitch, enunciate. <laughs> So Tiny Build Games um, <laughs> is releasing a game called Kill It With Fire, and basically you kill spiders with fire. Um, I've never been on Steam. Uh, I'm very giving this a very enthusiastic thumbs up. Uh, I might have to try to play this game because I don't like spiders, and I want to kill some with fire. Dominic. 
Uh, you know, I'm going to have to go thumb sideways because one, I don't understand uh, Bill Gates' vendetta against spiders, but I suppose, <laughs> <if he's, laughs> I suppose if he's very small, he's easy prey for larger spiders, and hence he probably has a heightened uh, fear of them. You know, I mean, we're afraid of them because they're scary, but they might, they might ball them up and eat them. Uh, <laughs> you know, a game, you know, uh, it's another, you know, humorous concept for a game. Uh, it might be charming. Uh, but, you know, until anybody plays it, we don't know. It could be clunky and boring. So, I don't know. It could be fun. <clears throat> could not be. Thumbs yeah. middle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I forget who I am sometimes. Um, I don't know. How else do you kill spiders? Thumbs up. <laughs> Tabitha. See, I'm the person who there's a spider building on our mailbox and I keep trying to rehome him and he just won't leave. Like, I don't want him to die. I just want him to move. <laughs> I've been trying to move this spider for like two weeks. He just won't go. So I am not, you would have had me more if we were killing tiny Bill Gates with fire <laughs> than spider. So thumb sideways. But if you want to create a killing tiny Bill Gates with fire game, I'll play that. Pick it. Uh, I'm going to give this a thumb sideways, uh, only because, well, I think it's a fun idea. Um, I just have this fear that, like, the children are going to start playing this game and think that's how you kill spiders, and then everybody's house is burned down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. It's all fun and games until you lose a house. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if there's spiders in your house, then they might as well just burn it down anyway. Just yeah. rehome <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a Ripley and aliens. <laughs> uh, I I cannot wait to get a computer now. I want this game so badly. <laughs> I don't care if it's clunky. Just let me kill the spiders with fire because that's what I want to do in real life. But I actually don't want to burn down my house. So yeah, thumbs up. So we've got a few other things to talk about. Uh, Dominic, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for sticking yeah. around. Uh, best of luck to you. And uh, yeah, keep up the amazing work. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. No, I'm kidding. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, you can stay if you want. No, no, don't worry, guys. No, I'll, I'll let you take it from here. But hey, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was great meeting you all. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks. Don't go burning your houses down. All right. <laughs> guys, go ahead. It depends on how big that Bill Gates is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good sure. night, guys. See ya. Uh, Bye. Bye. Uh, so we've got a few things to uh, to review that have come out recently. And I know that we're running super long right now, but I also made you guys watch uh, something. So we'll do a real, real quick uh, guilty pleasure dumpster fire so that we uh, don't have that go to waste. <laughs> That's 11 minutes of my life. I can never get back. <laughs> you only watched 11 minutes of it? You're lucky I watched 11 minutes. <laughs> Well, we'll, we'll leave that for, for a few minutes. Um, the first book that we're going to talk about is out now from Vault. It's called Engine Ward. Uh, it's written by George Mann with art by uh, Joe Eisma. So uh, this takes place in the far future. Earth is an ancient myth, and uh, the godlike celestials uh, rule the land. Um, I love these characters. I thought that Joss, uh, Joss who is kind of like a mechanic, uh, she reminded me a lot of Kaylee from Firefly. Mm -hmm. And then um, also Creek, who is a golem, which is basically like a robot. Uh, Creek worries over nothing when he shouldn't be worrying over anything. Uh, reminds me of me. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. But, 
But the Celestials, we didn't get a whole lot of them in this first issue, but I think it's a really cool concept. Basically, they're each, um, like, uh, they each have, like, what, like, the, the embodiment or whatever of uh, characters from astrology, you know, like uh, Gemini, Pisces, all that kind of stuff. So I'm really interested to see where they go. Uh, overall, I thought there was a lot of setup in this first issue, but it's got me interested to see where it goes. Um, Tabitha, what did you think about it? I love the concept of this. Like, if this... I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, if this was a book. Um, <laughs> but, like, if this was a book, like, this would be addictive and, like, mm -hmm. fantastic. The only gripe that I had with this is they were not showing me things. Everything about the world that they were building was told in, like, a... Even if you're super stupid, you can figure this out because we're literally going to tell you what's going on kind of way. Like, there was no... Like, they'd be like, reference something, and then the next person is like, let me explain that back to you. Like, it was, like, the, the book felt like it was mansplaining the world to me, and I didn't need that. Like, I could have figured it out in context, but, like, mm. they were, like, there was too much, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they were, like, they were, like, yeah, they were, like, dumping information on me, but in a way that, like, they needed the dialogue to do it, and I just... That was bothering me, but I love the concept of this. Like, and I need to know what's going on, like with those like celestials. Like, I I want to know, but I think it the dialogue kind of bothered me. Uh, Matt, what about you? I love the concept of this. Um, I love the world that's being built. Um, and as much as I don't usually have a problem with the um, dropping me in the middle of something and not really telling me what's going on. I usually don't have a problem with that. In this particular case, I did. Like, I, I appreciated the world building. And yes, it was kind of verbose and a little, like, mansplaining mm -hmm. as far as that goes. Um, but I, I I wanted a little bit more of, like, hey, this is the setup of what's going on. Like, I maybe it was just me in the way that I read it. But, like, if this were a full graphic novel, like, 200 pages, and I could get the whole story... I'd be a hundred percent in. Um, but like, I just need a little bit more of like, what's at stake, I think. Um, and also super nerd me is curious about why they spelled golem. golem. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's gotta be something to do with that because you, like golem and ghoul, like mm -hmm. shoving those two together, there's gotta be something coming with that. And I need to know what that is. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, Lydia, what'd you think? Um, I liked it. It took me a, a minute to get into it because, like, where they start you at is it, it kind of gave me more like uh, Starship Troopers vibes, and I'm like, okay, I've kind of seen this already. So I, it took me a minute, and then once we got to like where Joss was and all that, then it really started to pull me in. Um, I am very interested to see going forward, like how everything ties in, how the celestials being like such tied into the zodiac signs, how that plays with things. I agree that it was very expositiony and like fact dumping mm -hmm. in the for our first issue. Like I feel like they could have kind of held some of that back a little bit. But other than that, I really enjoyed it and I want to see where it goes from here. Uh, also out now from Oni Press, uh, Rick and Morty Go to Hell number two. Um, this is written by Ryan Ferrier with art by. Uh, Constanza Orza. So Rick and Morty continue Rick's quest to prove they're not really in hell. Uh, meanwhile, Summer tries to make the best of this situation. 
I don't know if you guys know this about me. I'm not a fan usually of fart jokes. I think that they're just kind of dumb. But there was a fart joke early on in this issue that did make me chuckle. <laughs> um, so congrats to them for doing that. Um, also, I really, really liked, I'm not going to go into it. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, I really liked Summer's kind of side story in this issue. Um, <laughs> it was so much fun. And I think that you should check this out based on that alone. Um, Lydia, let's start with you on this one. I love Rick and Morty. I didn't realize how much I loved Rick and Morty until I was re- reading this because it's s- such a well-balanced um, comedy and like existential crisis and like everything packed together. And this, there was several times where I was like actually laughing out loud at what I was reading. And I, yeah, I can't wait to see more of this. Uh, Matt. As much as I love Rick and Morty and as much as I love this, <clears throat> I'm a little concerned by the end of the issue on how long they're going to drag this out. That's my only concern. Um, I love it. It's funny. It's like classic Rick and Morty, but like it, it, how long we don't know how long the series is like, this could be a six issue series and I'd be okay with that. If it, if it goes on any longer than that, I feel like it's going to drag. That's my only my only thing. Tampa. Uh the part with Summer is arguably the best thing that's ever happened. And I want that <laughs> in the episode. Like I that was phenomenal. Like all of that was just super fantastic. Uh my favorite part of this though was the uh where they they've lost their skin and they're just skeletons. <laughs> yes! They're about to put it back on and Morty's like Oh, we get to have we have to keep the same ones, and I'm like, oh my god, same. Like I would, be, <laughs> I would be so bummed if I was suddenly a skeleton, and then they're like, just kidding, here's your body back, and it's the same body. I'd be like, well, I don't want that old thing. Like, are you fed up? Like, I get an upgrade. Like, come on, right? Can a girl go to the store? Like, I just, I love Rick and Morty, and I honestly think I love reading Rick and Morty more than I love watching Rick and Morty. Because I still hear the voices in my head that I actually don't hear the voices because sometimes Morty's like stutter like thing that he does makes me want to punch him in the face. So like reading it, I can kind of skip over it. I don't have to like sit there and wait for it. Like <laughs> I love this. I want I want more. And I also think I want to read more Rick and Morty than I've watched Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. Um also out now from Lion Forge, it's Rolled and Told Volume 2, uh, which, if you're unfamiliar with this, it's basically it's a uh, bunch of uh, role-playing uh, scenarios or whatever. Uh, and so it's got a lot of new adventures like Vault mm-hmm. of the Mad Crafter, uh, Ship of the Dead, and Forest of Delusion. Delusion. Uh, there are also articles such as one describing the relationship between quote-unquote nerd stores and uh, RPGs. Uh, Matt, let's start with you on this one. This is volume two. We got a chance to read volume one. Um, I, I I just love this because if I feel like it's one of those things where if you want to play D&D, but you have a life, you have other things going on, you don't necessarily have time to build an entire campaign and these are adventures that you can sit down essentially have the directions have the characters and play through so you still get to enjoy like playing D, but without the 
intense time hole that that a full like adventure campaign can be. So I, I love this. I think this is great. And the art along with it, like the little snippets, like comic book pages to go with, huge, huge. I love those. Those are great. Uh, Tampa. Yeah, basically everything Matt just said, like if you don't have the time to commit to like sitting down and coming up with your own campaign and you can just sit down with one of these books and still have the adventure and still like have some art to back up your like design and whatever's happening in your world that you've created. Like, I just think that's super cool. And I know there's a lot of things out there like this, but I'd never really sat down and looked at any of them to see how they were formatted. And like, this was really cool and really well done. Like, even if you are not someone who has played D and D before or has not played any art, like RPGs, like I think you could sit down and utilize this book to like get yourself started. Yeah. I think I, I enjoyed when we looked, uh, looked through the volume one, uh, but I didn't really appreciate it because at that time I had never really played role-playing games. And, I mean, since then I've only played the one when we were at Buzzbomb last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, like, I kind of looked at this issue with a different eye. And, yeah, and then I, I think that it's it's still, like, really new user-friendly. Um, somebody who's not super into role-playing games or just getting into them. Um, all right, guys. It's time for Guilty Pleasure or Dumpster Fire. We haven't done one of these in a long time. I know that we're going super long, so we're not going to go through, like, each of the questions that we normally would. But um, I do kind of want everybody's opinion on this. Anyway, so last month, a new show on Netflix debuted called Floor is Lava. Uh, It's hosted by Rutledge Wood, and contestants have to make it through different rooms without falling into the quote-unquote lava. Um, when I first saw this, I was like, I had not seen anything about it. hadn't heard anything about it, but I was like, oh my gosh, the floor is lava. That's amazing. Because what child didn't play the floor is lava? (laughs) I'm going to be honest. That first episode was bad. Um, awful humor, uh, cringeworthy reactions to the contestants, like falling into the lava it was like it wanted to be a mix of uh, like Wipeout or MXC, with, but also with like a hint of like a, an escape room. But it's like it just, yeah, it did not, it did not sit well with me. Um, I watched future episodes, and it gets a little bit better. But oh man, oh man, uh, Pickett, let's start with you on this one. What do you think of it? This is a dumpster five. I've never seen one. It is this show. Look. Okay, the kids loved it because it was stupid. Right? <laughs> so, just to be honest, now, I, I thought it was terrible. Like you said, really bad humor, and it was so cringy, so cringy. Yeah, no, that that was. I'm gonna give that a hard pass. Uh, Lydia, what'd you think? So yeah, I will agree. The first episode is so cringy, but I actually <laughs> watched the entire season because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I love stupid game shows like this. So like after it got past that first episode and got a little bit less cringy with like the narrative and all that, it kind of pulled me in a bit, but I feel like they got like the most awkward people they could possibly find to be the teams for this. And that made it hard to watch. It's like, okay, you've already got the, the cringeworthy narrative. You don't need cringeworthy people to be your contestants. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to kind of jump in like 
uh, yeah, that's kind of what happened with me. Like, I, I watched future episodes. I'm like, okay, this is slightly better. You're kind of pulling me in. Mm-hmm. And the, the season finale, um, not to spoil anything, but it does kind of end on a, uh, like, with a tense situation. And I was, like, kind of, like, almost on the edge of my seat. Like, oh, my gosh, is, you know, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Who's going to win? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, man. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, Matt, what did you think? As much as I am so incredibly guilty of dad jokes <sighs> the narrative is so bad like stretching for bad jokes like it's it it would be passable if the narrative like the the voiceover weren't really there like i almost could watch it if i was just watching these three teammates try and make their way across the room and want to try and figure that out but Everything has a little quip or a little joke to go with it, and I'm like, I, it's too much. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I couldn't sit through the whole season. I couldn't do it. Tabitha, you keep saying it gets better after the first episode, but like, couldn't have literally gotten any worse. So it had to get better. Like, that's arguably how life works. So <laughs> I watched approximately 11 minutes of this, and I was so like. Flames from the sides of my face. Like, I was... <laughs> I was so... Not lava. Lava from the sides of my face. Like, oh my god. Like, you know what's bad when I'm sitting there? Like, is there a possibility that if these people fall, they'll break their neck? Like, I'm thinking these things in my head. Like, the woman in the first episode where she hit the rock from her, the, like, Easter Island head oh, thing nice. really hard with her face, I was like, ah, serves you right. I'm like, I can't watch this. <laughs> Too aggressive and angry. Like this is gonna make me super mad. <laughs> like I'm literally like I was like, oh I wonder if she broke a rib. And then I'm like, that's mean. I shouldn't be thinking that. And then like two seconds later the daughter falls in the lava and I'm like, oh thank God. Like <laughs> not not a show for someone like me. Not a show for someone who hates humans because I was just waiting for all of them to die. And no one died and I was upset. So I do like that if somebody falls in the lava, like you don't see them again. Right. Like, I did like that because it gave me the feeling that she was just never coming back because she shouldn't. And like, oh. the, the, I just, oh my God, those people were so awful. So awful. So yeah. awkward. So scripted. The narration was just, and like, they're like, they could take this path or this path or this path. I'm like, who is this TV show for? People who don't have any depth perception? Like, obviously, those are the paths they can take. Like, I don't need a map, like, superimposed over the top of this room. Like, also, I have a question because I did watch a few more episodes. And why is it that (laughs) roughly the pathways are roughly the same in every room? Oh, the rooms change? Oh yeah, there's four rooms. Oh, yeah, but like, <laughs> I missed that. But there's always one path, like a wall, like ooh, let's climb along the wall, like, and then there's one path where you have to go directly through the middle through some weird object that you can't hold on to in the middle of the room. Like, there, there was just, I, I thought there could have been a little bit more variation, and a little bit more ingenuity, I guess, if you will, in the design of the rooms. Like I said, I would have rather I would rather have to watch Snakes on a Plane twice a day, every day for the rest of my life than have to watch eleven more minutes of that show. <laughs> wow. See, it also bugged me that like you have ten full episodes but you only have like four rooms. It's like yeah. sh- surely there's more to yeah. this house or whatever you're trying to build than a basement and a kitchen and a planetarium for some reason. Like right? <laughs> Yeah, what what house has a planetarium? I mean, doesn't everybody's house have a planetarium? 
Well, I mean, not everybody can be you, Pickett. Yeah. Side note, as much as the planetarium was very bizarre to have in the house, I did enjoy the flat earth joke. Yes. Yeah, that was funny. That was good. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of going back to what Tabitha was saying about uh, the contestants as a whole. Uh, That first episode, there was a contestant named Mitch, and it's always kind of a rule of mine to, like, cheer on anybody else named Mitch because, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of us. But I could not do it with for him. Like, no, like, I, I cheered when he got eliminated. I was like, good. Like, one one of the bad Mitches is, is gone. So. <laughs> the evil Mitch. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I know where some of us lie. But let's, for the record, is this a guilty pleasure or a dumpster fire? Um, Pickett, I know that you've already said what it is. Do you have anything else to add? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Lydia. Oh, I want to say it's a dumpster fire, but I can't. Because, like, as bad as it is, I still watch the entire thing. And, like, if they come up with more levels, I would watch more. I'm not even going to lie. So I'm going to have to say it's a guilty pleasure, even though I cringe at myself for saying that. Matt. Um, this is an absolute dumpster fire. But at the same time, this is going to get another season. There's going to be more rooms. Tabitha. Do you even need to ask? I mean, for the record. <laughs> this was, if this was a dumpster, like, if this was a dumpster fire, I'd roast marshmallows. Like, this is... <laughs> Like, if someone put all of those humans in a fire, I'd still roast marshmallows. Like, this should just go away forever. All those people should go away. Like, shows like this are what's wrong with America. Like, people, like, from outside this country look at that and think that's what we're all like. Tell me I'm wrong. I I will say I made somebody watch it with me, and their comment was that it's basically all the people that are too old for, like, Nickelodeon games, but all the people that aren't, like, physically fit enough to do American Ninja Warrior. (laughs) That's accurate. Yeah. Very accurate. <laughs> um, I'm kind of opposite of what you said, Lydia. I want this to be a guilty pleasure. Matt's right. There is going to be a second season. I am sure of it. And <laughs> if there is a second season, I will probably check it out to see if it becomes what I want it to be. But based on season one alone, it has got to be a dumpster fire. So I think it's it's what four to one dumpster fire. I am okay with being outmoded on this one, guys. It is perfectly okay. Because <laughs> I'm, like, right on the edge. <laughs> I, might, I might fall in the lava. Though we're most of the contestants. Yeah. And that just really bugged me, like, when they were, like, you know, pretending like that person had died, and it's like, we all know that they didn't. I mean, that that's Kool-Aid. It's, they're fine. They're fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the woman that was climbing on the side of the wall, she's like, oh my god, there are bugs in my face. I'm like, lady, they've been dead for like 50 years. I'm gonna need you to calm down. <laughs> they're <laughs> even real. They're probably just plastic. Oh my god. And one other thing, too, kind of talking about how, um, I think it was Matt or Tab, I don't remember which one, talking about like how kind of scripted it was. Did anybody mm-hmm. else think it was weird that like after they, uh, you know, they went through the course or whatever. They had, like, you know, the after testimonials on how they did and everything. And their all their clothes were dry. Yeah, that was weird. Huh. So, like, did they, it, like, bring an exact replica pair of clothes with them? Or was it all really, like, super scripted? It's scripted. 
meaning it's either either that or they had them film like different endings essentially to like each group's like venture through the room that feels like a lot of work right yeah uh, that is a lot of work hmm. i might have to change my opinion guys <laughs> oh, oh, too late it's it's your new favorite show <laughs> not say that i did not say that in the slightest don't let her fool you she's wearing a floors lava t-shirt right now and i Shh. and she can't prove me wrong because you're only it listening. Can't. i hate it so much <laughs> <laughs> don't believe him guys i'm wearing a hailstorm t-shirt <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode of The Geek Awakens. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to keep up with what's happening throughout the week. And be sure to let us know about any cool things we're missing out on. Any questions, comments, or concerns, then shoot us an email at thegeekawakenspodcast at gmail.com. From all of us at The Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Everybody, say bye. 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 bye.